It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today's the next step in our journey into the corner office, and I'm actually recording uh, together in a studio. Gosh, our COVID days, are they over, Tim? They're over. They're over. I'm with Tim Vassell. We are uh, lifetime friends, go back way, way back, but uh, getting a chance to catch up with him while I'm here in San Diego. For those of you who don't know, Tim loves his job. He combines lifelong surfing experience with expert craftsmanship to create some of the best custom surfboards in the world. Tim Vassell, founder and CEO right? Yes. Vessel Surfboards. Yeah. Welcome into the corner office. Thank you very much. So great to see you. You know, we're getting together, gosh, uh, just hours before you're getting travel for hours. Yes. <laughs> Heading to Australia. Heading to Australia, first to Fiji, flying yes. with your family and getting together with your Natalie. Yes. And we share that in common. We both have Natalie's. Yes. And I think they're about the same age. They're about the same age. Yeah. And we are both born on the same day. Yeah which is, you know, pretty amazing. Not too many of us around. So yeah. great to have you here and, and great to be recording this in your studio. I'm looking behind me. Some of the best looking longboards I think I've seen in a long while are up against the wall. This is Tim's home, away from home. Yes. He shapes his boards in the back, has a retail out front, owns the building. I wish. <laughs> well, at I least wish. I use the parking lot up yeah. front today. Yes. So that worked out. We do well. have parking lot services. Access. That's yes. good. All right. So I won't get towed. You will not get That's to. a good thing. Well, Tim, we typically start these podcasts just getting a little bit of the backstory. And I heard a bit of yours when we were, got together last year. Yes. And, and we met for the first time in probably 30 years. But tell us, tell us a little about where you how you grew up, you know, your mom and dad, what they did, and what your early family life was like. Well, I was born in Wichita, Kansas when <clears throat> in 1957. We moved to La Jolla in 1959, and it was a beautiful, mm. quiet beach town, mm. as you remember. Oh, yes. And uh, you could walk down the main street and not see any cars on a Sunday. Uh, Houses sold for between ten dollars to $12,000. I think my parents' first house was $18,000 $18, on Cabrillo. Yeah. And uh, it's a lot different now. And uh, so I grew up in La Jolla, mm. and uh, I... My we met at La Jolla High. At Muralitz. Muralitz, actually. Yeah, that's Muralitz, right where your yeah. to go. Yeah. So I, you used I, to play handball. Yeah. Handball. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You used to play a lot of handball. Yeah. How did I just remember that? Because there wasn't much going on back in the day. <laughs> it was before you served. <laughs> Throwing cans in the street and having cars run over them. <laughs> Taking pennies yeah. up to the Amtrak station in Del Mar. And, yeah, know, exactly. Yeah, so uh, 
I grew up in La Jolla. I started surfing when I was about nine years old. Who taught you how to surf? My old, my old, my sister. Yeah. She was older. She got her, she, she got into surfing first when nice. she was 13. And somebody uh, else got her involved. Yeah. yeah. She had a, a friend, um, Jim so she, Young. Jim Do you remember the Young brothers? Young family. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Jim got her into surfing and then my did brother. She learn, did she learn at Winnancy? No, La Jolla Shores. La Jolla Shores. Yeah. yeah, it's a better place. Yeah. And is that where she taught you too? Um, well, then my brother and I picked up it straight away because, yeah. you know, we grew up at the beach and would look over back at the hill of La Jolla Shores and there right. was no houses oh, up yeah. there. And, uh, and uh, so <clears throat> I just fell in love with surfboards from the first time oh, I yeah. saw it. I was really influenced by um, those. Now, it's interesting you said surfboards, not surfing. So it was the board and, and was the art of it? Is I that think, something that grasps your attention? I think, yeah. My earliest memories uh, was a uh, uh, family up the street. We grew up on West Maryland's Drive, yeah. which is a few oh, yeah. blocks from here. And uh, I, they, the two boys surfed and they had these beautiful boards and they were <laughs> shiny. And they were, were they long boards at they that were, time? Oh, yeah. They were probably 10 foot long. Ten foot long multiple boards. stringers, yeah. glass on oh, fan. And I just couldn't Beauties. understand that was when plastic was brand new. It was right. post-World right. War II. Right. And uh, so I just fell in love with surfboards. I just couldn't understand how they made them. And then... Uh, you fell in love with surfboards about the same time people that love music and play music fall in love with music. Yeah. It's in like that 11 to 15-year-old yeah. age time. Big influence on your life. I shaped my first surfboard when I was 13. 13. My Jeez. brother and our two best friends, Keith and Craig Lipscomb, they stripped down an old uh, Velzy longboard and gave me the blank on my 13th birthday. Oh, cool is that? And uh, my grandfather was an aerospace engineer yeah. for uh, Boeing. And uh, he taught me how to um, work with wood, with metal, with plastics, because wow. he was just a genius. And this yeah. is at about 13, 15 years. Yeah. Old. And so every summer we would go back to my grandparents' house in Wichita, Kansas. Yeah. yeah. And right. he was the chief designer for Boeing at that time. Yeah, and so, there. yeah. So I had a great um, trainer, mentor. Mentor. Yeah. And yeah. I love David Duffy. He was just, yeah. we got along like peas in a pod. So you fell in love with boards, then fell in love with surfing. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, and you fit a little school in between. <laughs> Let's talk. A my parents about that would part. never. No, my parents would never let me. Now uh, your parents. Now we have to yeah, take a little segue. Here. Yeah. Now mom was an artist. PhD. No, no, my father was a father PhD. PhD. Yeah. Mom was an artist. Yes. Dad was a doctor of psychology, and he was at university. Uh, he he later on taught at UCSD, right. but he had his practice down here. Oh, he had his private at, practice. Yeah. Right, right. At, Two of two different buildings. And what kind of art did mother make? She was primarily a painter, but she uh, was a graphic designer. Yeah. And uh, that's how she made her living. Yeah. And sweet. she would do all these beautiful renderings of women's dresses and hats and shoes. Oh. And, and uh, she made a living of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And awesome. then when she got married to my father, uh, they met when he was uh, doing an internship at, at East Tip Meets West. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it back at that time in the early 50s, the great expansion of America 
My father was from the East Coast. Right. My mom was from the Midwest. And then they came to La Jolla. Yeah. And, you know, there was a group of families from Wichita that actually came here at the same time. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, Relatives and family. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up with uh, art and science okay. in a very liberal household. In uh, But you made the grades. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I was diagnosed with dyslexia. My mother was dyslexic, but I had a mild, a, a mild case, right. so it wasn't full blown. Um, but I had problems reading. reading. Yeah, and reading. then Dr. Pinner from UCSD started a private school across the street oh. behind Rigoberto's yeah, yeah. four houses back there. Right. It was called La Jolla School. La Jolla School. Dr. Um, Pinner, um, Dr. Salt, um, Dr. Monk, my father, mm. they were all teaching this experimental school. Sweet. Cool. Yeah. Small classes. Yeah. All hands-on. Kind of Montessori-ish. Very. But it was a miniature university. It was the same format. Wow. Everybody would go to lectures. The whole school would go to wow. these lectures. Huh. And um, I never knew this existed. Yeah. It was amazing. So it happened huh. for two and a half years. So I went to La Jolla Elementary School until third grade and i went there well then we must have been there yeah the we were time. we were absolutely yeah. and um yeah. and then uh we went i went to this experimental school which was fantastic we used to do math in the sand at wind and sea beach for exercise we'd run up and down and West this was Morty. supplementary you still went to school right or did you do oh, that no 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 it, oh, was, it was full time it, it was okay. it was uh eight to two or something all like right that. okay but two and a half years there I had totally different mindset, totally different mindset. And my, my skills in reading and writing were way behind. Mm. So as David Andrews said, my umbilical cord isn't that long to leave La Jolla. <laughs> there was another school about four doors up. This is all from my shop on Westbourne street called Evans school. Oh yeah. I remember Evans school, Evans school Evans, yeah. was suit and tie That's right. McGuffey yeah. reader. Yeah. And East coast kids came in. Yeah, yeah. And it was completely different. And yeah. I fought it so much cause I thought they were a bunch of geeks, <laughs> but then two and a half years later at this basically prep school, yeah. I got through college with a 3.2 without really doing any work <laughs> so it was pretty amazing it's amazing yeah, i mean it. leaving evans school and going to murlands was like vacation <laughs> and um and uh so that was my educational history yeah. my father was uh, a, a a child development specialist and he wrote books yeah and he was actually the the first one to develop um what they call him emotional intelligence, right? Yeah. but he called it emotional maturity and better uh, description. Well, yeah, well, he's, he was the father of emotional maturity. Right, he could right. measure it and he could diagnose it and he could prescribe. Yeah. It. So, um, that, that was my father and my mother was an artist. So I grew up with both, both of those Very um, mindsets and it influences. Just, yeah. yeah. And they were just wonderful people. I couldn't ask for better. So, parents. so, bringing it back to the business. Yeah. We've got a lot of business listeners. You know, when did you start selling boards and kind of said to yourself, oh, this could be a business. I could surf, I could make boards, I could have money and okay, it kind good. of works. Great question because my parents being supportive, they let me use their garage 
and shaped in there. And I shaped and glassed and ruined my parents' garage. <laughs> so with, it's got fiberglass with, poisoning, right? With the first surfboard uh, I made, I kept it, but there was a kid down the street who made one that was really bad. So we stripped that one off huh. and I reshaped it and reglassed yeah. it and then painted it. And I sold it for $75. That so it was nice on my then. second surfboard. I knew, knew I could make money. Could and in high school and college, I was making more money than anybody, but I didn't realize it was going to plateau at, <laughs> at almost poverty. No, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. No. So um, I started my own business, basically, right. because my friends would buy boards and yeah. they were cheaper and not as good. But when I was 15 and a half, I got my first job in North County at Sunset Surfboard. Right, Sunset. Famous. Because uh, the sander Kenny Mann had broken his arm skating. Oh. Right. And that was the shop that we hung out with. And there Eddie knew that I made boards and he'd seen them. And he asked me if I could come in and be a sander right. until Kenny came back. Right. And that and lasted about shop. six months. And then I had great factory experience um, right. of right. sanding surfboards, which is yeah. very critical. Right. So I probably did thousands of boards sanded. And then this is a funny story. Eddie asked, um, Kenny came back. And Eddie goes, hey, you know, do you want a job? We love working with you. And I go, yeah, sure. What do you got? He's going, do you want to do sales? And I go, yeah, sure. Why wow. not? I fucking hated sales. <laughs> Sitting in that showroom. Oh, it was, God. Encountering all types horrible. of pissy people. Trying to sell other people's work. <laughs> Man, it just wasn't working for me. Oh, no. Then luckily... It's important to find out what you don't want to do when you're young. Yeah. Buzzy right? Blodgett. Yeah. Buzzy, important lesson. Buzzy Blodgett, the kneeboard shaper, quit. And Eddie knew that I could shape these boards. And you stepped in. I go, You know, it's yeah. funny. This, this happens a lot in the music business. This uh -huh. is how guys like Dave Grohl got their, you know, chance because someone didn't show up. Yeah. Know, for the interview. Or the guy got sick or he yeah. broke his hand. Yeah. He couldn't play. And, you know, the number two guy steps in and they're like, holy shit. My was dad it, always used to say show, showing up is 80% of the right. job. That's um, right. No, so that's, no, no, it just was good timing. Good timing, yeah. And because I was still making my own boards on the side. So um, I became a production shaper wow. for Sunset Surfboards. You which, were on their payroll. Yeah. So I could do both. Mm -hmm. I could, and that's how I built my brand. Right. Because I was a production shaper right. for um, Sunset, Sunset Surfboards. And then at 18, I was just totally enamored with the North Shore of Oahu. And all I wanted to do was surf the North Shore. Right. And I had friends there that actually were working for Lightning Bolt Surfboards. Okay. Which was another big brand. Was the, that Jerry Lopez's? Jerry Lopez. That's right. I remember. Jack he used to Shippy. surf Wind and Sea a lot. Yeah. I used to go down there and watch him. There was another guy. It was a blind guy that used to surf. He used to surf together a lot. Jerry Lopez and... Oh, was it... There. It could have been... Oh, was Mike Henson? Yeah. Well, it What's could have been Mike Henson. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. So I two got, great brands. Yeah. Well, brands Lightning Bolt was the number, number one. one surf. Jerry brand was the number one surfer for in the world for fifteen decades. years. Yeah, yeah decades, twenty years. Yeah. Um, which which opened up a lot of doors. Um, and then I came back to California and worked at Lightning Bolt here for about four years, and then. Um, had a falling out with the 
licensor. Uh-huh. And um, when we're going to get into licensing later, audience, stick around. There's a very interesting licensing twist to this story. So when I was 18, going to, into licensing, I licensed Hang 10 surfboards, which was a total nightmare because... <laughs> no, the, they were very popular. Yeah. Shorts brand. They, exactly. They actually made skateboards. They did. And they I remember made a little, little bit of surfboards. A little bit of surfboards. It took basically three years for me to get paid on those surfboards. So that taught me a very important lesson about licensing. Um, I will get to that lesson later, listeners. <laughs> so I worked at Lightning Bolt and then I left Lightning Bolt to w- go to work for Billy Caster. Billy Caster, in my opinion, and a lot of other shapers and surfers around the world said that he made the best surfboards in the world. So I was going. And you would agree with that? I would totally agree with that. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Um, so and who did, going, he do, did he shape for Sunset? And no, no, he, he had or, his own. He had his own label. from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, he started Olympic surfboards. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the Caster brand. And um, so I'm working my way through college as being a production shaper for Lightning Bolt surfboards, for Sunset surfboards, and now Billy Caster, who is just like the most the, the wonderful, pre- wonderful yeah. human being in the world. I got like Top a big. Industry bonus going in there. I made more money than anybody in the industry because he paid his workers really well yeah. because he, he wanted, the best. Yeah, he wanted yeah. the best. Yeah. He wanted the best. And, um, important learned, lesson listeners. Yeah. And so <laughs> I want love, the best pay for it. Exactly. Yeah. And because it's just, it's just, it's just, you'll the right always thing get to, the best that way. Yeah. In, <laughs> interesting side note, Billy, paid his workers probably more than he got paid. Mm. And I remember he, we worked together successfully for about five years. I shaped all his production boards and he glassed all my boards. Right. So I was making the best surfboards in the world with Billy, who I absolutely loved and admired and respected. And um, unfortunately he passed away Mm. of cancer. Oh, at what age? He was about 40. 40. He was young. So young. 45 maybe. And, um, and then, uh, I started my own brand. I left college, uh, with about, and where'd you go to school? San Diego state university. So what local? Yeah. And, um, I got a business degree or what did you, well, I, I dropped out with, uh, about (coughs) five credits left to go because it wasn't important to me. And I knew that I I didn't need a degree and I went to university to get an education and not a degree. So, um, I am the education and it was time to leave. Exactly. And I, and you know, it was one unit lab for psychology. I think there was a five hour, one unit (laughs) history lab. And there was like the the fact that you remember the specifics of that. Yeah. And, and I know I was pissed off because I had to take PE but I was surfing every day You're and I go, they wouldn't count that. Yeah. And I go another semester to get a degree. And my parents didn't care because yeah. they knew, because I had already been making surfboards for 10 years. Exactly. You're I already was already at the top. Of, you, yeah. you already had your business. I, I was already up and going. And, um, but my father wanted me and my brother to take over his practice. So he was a little bitter, but I remember one day he walked into the shop Yeah, and he goes, cause his office was across the street at the right. medical building. Right. And he just shows up one day because Tim, you know, I'm really proud of you. Aww. I was really upset that you didn't want to take over my practice, 
but the HMOs have destroyed my business and you made the right decision. Oh, God bless so you. yeah, that was wow. wonderful. And yeah. Um, yeah. we got through that little um, deal. Great, great healing. So I, All right, so now we know, back yeah. to the business, fast yeah. forward a little bit now. Yeah. I remember part of the story we talked about last year <clears throat> was your business got to a point where you were selling boards for $500,000, right? But putting a lot of time and effort into it because you were delivering high quality goods. Yeah. And it was kind of a make or break business. You ate what you hunt, right? You didn't Absolutely. Shake the boards, yeah. yeah. You couldn't pay the bills. You hand, didn't have hand them out. Property, hand yeah. them out. And then all of a sudden, ding, 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 ding. Someone puts into your idea your well, there was, about the license. There was a long road. A long road to get there. A long road to get there. And um, I'll just briefly go through it. So after Billy died, yeah. I started my own business with my own label. And I quit being a production shaper for other companies, which yeah. is a big stepping stone. Sure. And um, and then we became one of the leading producers of surfboards, producing like 120 boards a week out of this facility. I wish we had a video listener. You could see this place. He's got you know the, the branded logo, seen all over some wonderful, beautiful shots. Looks like a little bit of wind and sea. Well, this was before computer computerized milling machines. So oh, yeah. all the surfboards were hand-shaped. I had five shapers that worked here. We had oh. about four rooms. This was a shaping room. Oh, really? really? Yeah, there was so four back-to-back. This back physical to back. facility. Yeah, wow. so it was just a factory. Just a factory. And yeah. um, then the Gulf War hit. Oh, wow. And surfboards were like $350 at that time back in the 80s, uh, which was you know pretty expensive. And then the Gulf War hit. And I remember we were doing this trade show. And there was more exhibitors than buyers. Wow. And, wow. and my wife and I um, were selling hats and tees to go along with the surfboards. Right. And we get to this trade show. Nobody's there, but they're going, hey, you got to start a clothing line. Huh. And we go, oh, fuck. <laughs> okay. Does it really get so bad? <laughs> so uh, we took our last $1,500 and commissioned a... a the, one of the designers of Gordon and Smith, Mike Campbell, oh, yeah. to put together a, a tight 10-piece line. We went to the next trade show, which we had pre prepaid for before. So we had the sample line, we had the booth, and the Japanese came in and bought like $100,000. We'd never even done that with surfboards, you know what I mean? Whoa. So my trajectory was still going forward even in the um in the uh great recession right and um we grew that business to five million in about two and a half years nice. and we got to a point where we needed to raise funds and being the ceo <laughs> and cfo um long story short is it was a failed plan mm. Yeah. Because these investors came in and asked to have the entire investment instead of distributing it oh, to other no. qualified investors, like oh, a group of 10 yeah. or 20. Right. So I got voted down. And long story short is they bankrupted my company and I almost lost my house. Um, I lost my marriage wow. and business is serious. And um, so it took many years. I had to go back to production shaping for other, shaping. Oh, for other companies. Wow. But that's wow. when I had another building over on the corner, the old natural. Now, did they take down Vessel? Did they, was they, that the bid? That was their plan. Right. And they, and they did. And 
I have lots of stories about yeah. the rag trade. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not fun. No. I'm glad I'm not in it. Um, but but I learned a lot. Yeah, learned I'm, a lot. I've got a PhD <laughs> in garmentoism. You're thinking about dad's practice every now and then. And, <laughs> and, th that and, <laughs> and things were different back then because there was really no offshore manufacturing. Right. Only a right. few of the big guys were doing it. Yeah. So everything was made domestically right. and sampling was really expensive sure. and sure. you got to make four seasons oh, yeah. ahead and you got to finance those. Oh, and yeah. So um, I folded that company, but I've always had Basel surfboards. Yeah. And so you never lost that. That did not go out. I've never that. lost Basel yeah. surfboards. No. So always, it's your name. What, what, yeah. You know, yeah. Nobody wants away. it. Yeah. it, right. it so, um, so I rebuilt the company and um, then from the clothing days, uh, my protege, Ben Blank, mm. stuck with me. Okay. And then uh, for a few years- He was one of your shapers. No, no. He, oh. was, he was a designer. A designer. Yeah. And he, he was my production manager and oh. he did everything, graphic design. He was a very smart, bright, talented human being. Yeah. And we're still friends to this day. He calls me up about 11 years ago and says, Tim, there's this website called Fab. Mm. And I'm looking at it and they're selling really beautiful designer stuff. And, and it's when the internet first started happening. Right, right. So I'm looking and I'm going, it's not, I'm, we're not going to be able to sell any surfboards on this thing. But I saw Andy Warhol skateboards. Ah, uh -huh, that's right. And my son-in-law Danny Wallace, a famous surf skater. Mm -hmm. I call him up and go, Danny, what's the story with these boys? Andy Warhol skateboard? Oh, they're friends of mine. Um, Alien Workshop, here's their phone number. Give them a call. I gave them a call. And they were the licensor. They were the licensee. Licensee. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, the Andy or Warhol Warhol's Foundation stuff. is a licensor. Right, right, right. And um, I call them up and they basically hung the phone yeah, up on right, me. Right. They dissed they me rude, so totally bad. So I got that. pissed off and I just Googled Andy Warhol Foundation. <laughs> I saw a phone number and I called this called it and this really sweet lady, Samo. All right. Now, before we tell the yeah. story, we have a rewind. Okay. Because back in the 60s, Andy came out here and made a movie. Yeah. And it was about La Jolla. It was about surf relationships. It was a little raunchy. Yeah. You can find it on YouTube. Yep. But you were tied to that, yeah, right? Yeah. And actually had met him and had a couple of encounters all the time he was alive. So yeah. bring us back to that first point of contact. In 1968, Andy Warhol had two locations where he was staying. There was a house down at in Little La Jolla. Point. Yeah, in La Jolla. Right down the street at Little Point. And he kept um, another boyfriend at another place. <laughs> several, maybe. <laughs> several. But he also he used to have the uh, the house across the street from Carl Ekstrom's shop. Right, right. That little right. red yeah. roost house. Yep. So they there he had an entourage. I was ten or eleven years old when he showed up. And my mom being an artist, she would show me him around town and you know, he shorts up to his waist and <laughs> white, and white hair and leather yeah, jacket yeah. and boots and white legs and he was just a real character and uh i and my mom being an artist and pop art coming out when yeah. i was very young she and impressionable connected. so i all i wanted to do was be a pop artist it, it didn't really at you know 10 or 11 years old yeah and um so i knew who andy warhol was in 1984 my good friend um john batanti introduced me to his good friend, Gary Binko, who had a, a apartment in Manhattan. And Gary's brother was the head of PR 
for the uh, Playboy clubs. Mm. And they were opening up a second Playboy club in Midtown. So wow. we got invited. Playboy clubs. There's a podcast yeah. for you. <laughs> we, we, we got invited. We'll spin that one off later, <laughs> listeners. We got invited to the opening of the Playboy Club. And, you know, I'm just like, I don't know, 24 years old or something. And walking Midtown in Manhattan. Midtown Manhattan. And there's Hugh Hefner and there's Barbie Benton. Okay, backstory. Carl, when when Warhol was in La Jolla, he bought two surfboards from Carl Ekstrom right, as right. props, yeah, for, as the props movie, for the movie, yeah. which was San Diego Surf. Right, right. Um, Real raunchy guys. Yeah, yeah. X-ray. And Don't so, let your children see it. So, so, uh, <laughs> so Andy was friends with Carl Ekstrom. I was talking to Carl a couple weeks before I um, went to New York. And I said, yeah, I'm going to New York. And uh, he goes, if you see Andy, tell him I said hi. <laughs> so Just like walking down the street. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not going to freaking happen. That's never going to happen. So um, we show up at the Playboy Club. There's Hugh Hefner. There's all the actors that are popular at that time. Yeah. And it's a big deal. And we're drinking and we're smoking and we're having fun. And uh, lo and behold, there's Andy standing with... <laughs> three super beautiful tall models and he's just standing there and my boys go well there's andy you want to meet him here he is and i go no i'm not that guy i'm not going to walk up to him they go we dare you <laughs> of course i go do. okay well if you're going to dare me i'm going to do it so i walked up i had a business card that was handmade and uh, like the ones you have now no a long time. it had a little man on it oh with yeah a suitcase. Right, right right and i walk up to andy i go hi andy my name's tim Bissell. we have a mutual friend carl ekstrom and that right opened away. all the doors he knew right away yeah and so Did i handed, you remember your mom no he didn't know my mom that's not right though yeah. they didn't meet when he no was here. but okay. she she would point him out yeah, yeah um yeah. they were different circles different, different circles. Art, art circles <laughs> different at that time yes. uh so <laughs> So I hand Andy this card and he made, paid a really nice compliment and told him I was a surfboard shaper yeah. from La Jolla. Yeah. And he said he loved La Jolla. And, um, great time here. and then I got invited to interview magazine and, uh, the factory and, uh, and, uh, it was, and I met Andy the next day. And, uh, so I met Andy twice and he was just a wonderful human yeah, being and yeah. he was a genius very and artistic, uh he was my idol and hero and and uh so so fast forward fast forward we got a recent call yeah and the licensee of their skateboards has pissed you off and you're damn this i'm gonna get to the bottom of it exactly. you cold call i cold right? called the, <laughs> the warhol, warhol foundation. foundation and you get connected to the right people yeah and, and they basically say hey Tell us more. Well, it's interesting. So Michael Herman, the head of licensing, grew up surfing and skating in New Jersey in the 80s. So he knew who I was. Right. All right. So all he that hard work. So success to me, what you have to do is you have to do it first. Right. Like Stand I made out. my first surfboard. First mover. And then that gave me the experience to go do what I needed to do. Right. You can't have, you can't rely on other people to get you started. You have to be a self-starter. Right. Um, and my mantra is follow your heart, but let your mind lead the way. Mm, so that. say that again, follow your heart, but let your mind lead the way. Wow. Like be practical, love be that. smart. Yeah. And, um, so Michael Herman and I, over a six month period, um, decided, yes, let's do, let's do, um, 
surfboards. But the San Diego surf movie was filmed in 1968 in La Jolla, and it got shelved. It got shelved yeah. till the release in 2012, which was when I. So it was serendipitous that I called them at, at the time. time that the movie was oh getting my. released. Oh my gosh! That's and wild. and then. And Michael goes, okay, what is some compelling reason why we should give you this license? And I go, well, I met Andy Warhol. <laughs> when I, I was met, eight. <laughs> well, when I was like 24. <laughs> um, and he lived, when you were and he lived down the street from yeah, me in right, La Jolla. And right. he said La Jolla was the most beautiful place yeah, he had ever been. That's right. So that's the compelling reason. Yeah, yeah. And I have a connection with Warhol. Yeah. And none of those people did. Right. They were. Did they know who Carl Ekstrom was? I don't think they knew who Carl yeah. Ekstrom because nobody saw the yeah, movie saw the until movie. the end. Yeah, right. And you know this yeah, surprise right. ending. Yeah, so, so uh, I called him up and um, Ben Blank uh, works for Intuit, um, which is a huge company yep. and yep. Uh, owns Turbo, Turbo Tax. Tax exactly. Which is here in and he's always into tests. Let's right. do a test. Oh, shit. So um, I had a uh, six month trial period to um, get the license, to secure the license. Yeah. We had already done it, but I could bail. So I'm going, how the fuck am I going to sell these things? <laughs> and uh, what do we even charge? Because yeah. surfboards are, you know, 500 bucks. Who knows? They can't right. be 500 right. bucks. And, you, and you know, it'd been a grind, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, at that, that point in time, I was rebuilding my company. That was a decade ago. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and so you and tested the market. I I put what, down what a the list. Tell you, it, it it told me that people who like surfing and like Andy and Warhol like will spend five thousand and up on a oh, surfboard. So, so you're basically, at 12 x I added one zero, yeah. and that's all I did. And then yeah. on the secondary market, the this Maryland turquoise Maryland right, Moreau right, went right. for eighty four hundred. Oh my god, which was fourteen hundred dollars more than the seven thousand dollar list price. So I go, okay, well, that's the benchmark. And uh, and aren't some of these now like collector's items that are worth like $50,000 or well, something? Well, we or have the Elvis, limited... the triple Elvis, which is $50,000. And we're that's only per making... board? Or no, or... that's for a triptych. For... But I do other work for other artists. Yeah. And we just did a program with Kenny Scharf. So Andy Warhol had three protégés, Basquiat, Keith Haring, and... Um, and Kenny Scharf, mm -hmm. Ken, both both the Herring and Basquiat are gone, but Kenny's still alive, and Kenny's work is selling for millions of dollars now. And we just did twelve boards for Parlay, which is a nonprofit right. organization, and they all sold <laughs> for sixty five thousand and up. Wow! So that's fabulous. So the sixty five thousand, yeah, for boards that you used to sell for three fifty to five hundred, yeah. Pretty much the same. Yeah, a yeah. little bit of art, a little more work. Well, not yeah. Much. Well, the construction's the same. It's the art that's the value. So yeah. yeah. So the time put into it, and you have that type of return. Yeah. So what did it allow you to do? How did you change your? How, how did it really help? Well, from you living take hand to mouth. Yeah. From living hand to mouth. I mean, in the clothing business, we did make a lot of money. But in clothing, you can make lots of money and then lose lots of money because exactly. that's just the game. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the margins most, are thin one of the most risky businesses yeah. in the world. I think it's third next to restaurants and mm -hmm. bars. Um, so rebuilding my company and um, raising two kids on my own um, was 
quite challenging. And then once I got the Warhol thing, the pressure was taken off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've been able to manage that. You've been a licensee for how many years now? 10 years. 10 years. We probably produced wow. over 500 boards that go worldwide. Wow. We've had shows wow. that the first board we ever sold was at the San Diego Museum of Contemporary Art at their biannual. And it went on auction within, I think, two minutes. It went and sold for $18,000. <laughs> so um, I love it. And that was an eye opening experience. Once you get to a point in your life where you don't have to worry about money, um, that's true wealth. And having too much money is not true wealth. No, it's not. And, um, and what's our most important commodity? Our time. Yeah. And how we choose to spend it. And our health. Yes. <laughs> close number two. Yes, a close number <laughs> two. If you don't have the time, the health's not important. Yeah. And, <laughs> and two years into this pandemic, it really did some good things for me. Yeah. I used to be, you know, having this work sin ethic, um, working really hard. You have to work hard. Yeah. But you don't have to work hard forever. You just have to work smart. And listening to Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, if you've never heard of him, check him him out. He was a game changer for me. Yeah. And uh, the utmost respect for him. He, he really got us out of uh, the Great Depression. Yeah, it's course. been on the bestsellers list for almost a hundred years. <laughs> I think the Bible's only sold more. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Tim, we're, we're getting yeah. close to the end of our okay. time here, but yeah. I have a few last questions. Sure. Already, just to kind of bring everybody up to the present. Um, and I want to be very respectful of your time. Sure. This gentleman's getting on a plane within 12 hours yes. for 14 hours longer <laughs> 14 is your first stop yeah. and then another six to yeah. get to australia going to see your dear your dear daughter yeah. natalie my, and going surfing with her yes I identify because on saturday i leave to go see my dear daughter and uh-huh. we're going to surf with her in costa rica wonderful so yeah, yeah. we got something in common once again. again but very respectful of your time just to kind of wrap it all up you know one of the things that we really like to always ask our guests is you know, what kind of career and life advice? And I want to I want to phrase this a little differently for you because you've had such a such an interesting trajectory. You know, the combination of arts and sciences, how you found something you loved artistically and then and then loved the sport that it was in and you know, nearly killed yourself and bankrupt yourself, you know, through it, and then resurrected it, you know, on a path now. And, you know, uh, best of luck to you. And Hope that obviously continues to grow. Well, thank you. But but the question is this, to folks that are maybe in that kind of period, you know, we get younger listeners, you know, mostly in their 20s and 30s, but, you know, if you were speaking to, you know, 15-year-olds at the time, you know, when we were 15, what kind of sage advice and wisdom would you give them about how to think about their future, particularly now? We have a war in Ukraine, you know, we've got massive you know, units moving, haven't moved that much since World War II. Yes. It's where you and I were born. Yeah. Crazy shit going on in this world, this pandemic. The only (sighs) advice I can give all of our listeners is, again, follow your heart. Let your mind lead the way. And um, at times when you don't think that you can go on because of, Whatever happens to you, depressions, uh, pandemics, business is like the tide. It comes in, 
You're wealthy, it goes out, <laughs> yep. you're poor. And when you're down and out, don't lose faith. You figure out what your real wealth is when you're poor. Yeah. And you know, when and I was- is, And isn't the money in your pocket. Yeah. And when I was had a very successful clothing line, which we did, it was very successful for seven years. And it, we were so successful, we went out of business. So, um, <laughs> and that happens a lot to your listeners. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, good things are going to happen and bad things are going to happen, but good things can happen after bad things. And my life mm. is so good. I'm blessed mm. with two Gratitude. healthy daughters, a new grandson, um, and a beautiful partner that has made my life complete. And I'm, happier now than I've ever been ah, because I appreciate every second of life. <laughs> well, what a way to top it off. Tim Bissell, founder, CEO of Bessel Surfboards International. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for so, your time. So great to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing your story and have a very, very safe trip. And you too. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.